You listen to notices more closely, don't you, when, they, when they're on the screen for some reason or other. Um, but that's the way it is. And uh, thank you for those who've done that. If you've got a Bible and you like to turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 95, it is going to come up on the screen. Um, I have Bibles on my various um, electronic pieces as well, but I don't, I don't think you can beat a physical Bible. Isn't that right? Um, a Bible you get used to turning your way through in different ways, a Bible which you can underline, etc., etc., um, and uh, make your own in, in particular ways. Um, anyway, it's going to come up on the screen. Let's stand up, shall we? We're going to read this a little bit differently. We're going to do it as a responsive reading. So I, I will read the first verse. I will read the verses in, in white, and if you read the verses in yellow when you're all ready, um, we... Okay. So, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. And his hands form the dry land. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. When your fathers put me to the test, they tested me, though they had seen my work. Therefore I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We've been going through a series in the Psalms uh, uh, through the summer, and uh, this is a, a devotion really on this psalm. There's so much in this that you could pull out of it. It's like so many of the psalms loaded in so many different ways. You could almost do a series on it. It's a psalm that's uh, quoted and analysed in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, and that was what led me to it. Pam and I have been going through Hebrews and I, I just love that book. I love the richness of the book. I love the way it just points us to Jesus and says that he is everything and he is better by far than all that preceded. And, uh, and the writer in Hebrews 3 and 4, he, he picks up on these particular verses in this psalm. And, uh, uh, and it's a psalm of two very distinct halves, isn't it? When you look at it, the first, you know, first few verses there uh, from 1 to 7, 7a, uh, quite joyful and expressive and dynamic and encouraging and uplifting. And then you kind of get to this part where it says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it seems like the psalmist has gone off in a completely different direction. It's like, where are you going? What is this all about? And it's caused some people to think that maybe it was originally two psalms because there's such a distinct divide as you travel through this psalm. And yet it is actually one psalm. 
It belongs together. And hopefully we can see that this morning as we just travel through it. The context here is, it's, I don't know whether you're aware of it, but Psalms are divided into five books. You've got book one, book two, book three, book four, and book five. And this psalm is found in book four, which is Psalms 90 through to 106. And, there's a, and it finds itself in a section on what we call the enthronement psalms uh, that focus on the reign of God. And you'll see how this all fits together in a minute. So just hold that there. This psalm is in that book and in that section of that book. It's one of the enthronement psalms and focuses on the reign of God. Very, very important indeed. And, but it follows, obviously, book three, uh, which is Psalm 73 to 89. And these are the crisis psalms. When you, you read them, they, they are all about crises, whether personal or corporate. And much of it has to do with the corporate nature of what has been going on in Israel. So, psalms related to Israel's captivity in Babylon. They express doubts about God and his purposes, the role of Jerusalem and the, the Davidic king. And in them, you discover there's envy of the arrogant. It's like looking at the world and thinking, they're better off than we are. I thought you were God. You know, uh, envy of the arrogant. Uh, there's bitterness. There's resentment uh, set in. There's questions, questions, questions in those psalms. Uh, questions like, why have you rejected us? How long will the enemy mock us? Has his faithful love ceased? Do not keep silent, O God. Have you ever felt like that? I love the book of Psalms because they are so, uh, so comparable to our human experience, aren't they? To the ups and downs of life. There's the joys in them, the delights, uh, the joy in God. But there's also these, these moments of questioning where you, you, it's like, where are you, God? What is going on? Why aren't you doing something about this particular situation in my life? How long will it take, O oh Lord? How long are you going to be silent? Ever been there? Well, a few of you have, and I suspect a few more than are actually nodding. And that moments when you, you, you doubt God because of all that is going on in and around you. So this, is, it, this book follows on the back of book three. And so we're looking at this psalm this morning, which is in that book and formulated as a response to crisis. I love that, that thought that this next book... Book four is formulated as a response to the crises, both personal and corporate, of Israel in regard to God. And it begins with this invitation to praise and worship. Come, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let's sing joyfully to him in songs with instruments. Now, some, some versions leave off the with instruments, but it's, it's there in the original uh, reading of the, of the Hebrew. And, and so there's, you, you get this picture here of, of people coming together. You get this picture here of a, a, a big orchestra, if you like. You get the picture here of a lot of noise going on. And one of the things I, I love about Psalms is the dynamic of worship that you find in them. And... and uh, you know, I, I grew up in a background which was solemn and serious, and there is a place for that. 
But when you look at the Psalms, the amount of joy and vibrancy that takes place in worship. Now, I've heard people try and explain this away and say that, oh, well, the only time Israel sang Psalms like this was when they were outside the temple, when they were, you know, sort of marching out here and there and everywhere. No, they sang them in the temple as well. Temple worship was dynamic. It was full of the joy of the Lord. And so you get that sense, shout joyfully, triumphantly with music and instruments. So there's this sense here that our praise and our worship as we come together. So the invitation is there, come, come together. Come together, and coming together is so important. You know, we can sometimes think, well, I can go and worship God on, go on golf course. I can go and worship God in my garden. I can go and worship God doing whatever it is I, I just like doing. Uh, and you can, and there's a place for that. But there's something about the corporate worship of God's people and being together in the presence of God. And you know, the enemy loves to separate us out from that. If he can divide us, he can conquer us. If he can say, well, you, you can just enjoy God with, with, out there, whatever it is you want to do. Just go and do that. Because he knows there's something dynamic about this. He knows there's something dynamic about a corporate community gathering together before God and worshipping him. No wonder the writer to the Hebrews said, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is a matter of some. And in the context there, some of them were looking around thinking, well, the temple's still standing. Yeah, Jesus has come. Temple's still standing. I thought that was all finished with. So, so let's stop. And he says, whatever you do, don't. Keep assembling. Keep gathering as the people of God. And so you have this sense of, of vibrant, triumphant worship. I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? You know? If England win in a few minutes' time, <laughs> there will be an awful lot of noise going on, won't there? If the other team wins, there will be an awful lot of noise going on. And they will be cheering and they will be celebrating. And when it comes to God and what he has done for us in Jesus, what are we going to do? Do you think he... He, he just wants a, a modicum of praise that's, you know, from that deep down joy. Well, he really knows my heart, you know. Well, he is God. And he has won. Oh, he is on the throne, you know. <laughs> and uh, so there's a, a that's, I love the dynamism of the Psalms. And some of us just need to get into the Psalms a bit more and enjoy the nature of how the psalmist comes before God and just enjoys God's presence. I wonder when you arrived this morning, did you come in with that kind of attitude of, of thanksgiving? You know, the, the old saying still rings true, attitude determines altitude. Yeah? And we can come in and think, oh my goodness, it's Sunday morning again. I've got to go to church. Oh boy. I wonder what the music will be like. I wonder what songs we'll sing. I wonder what the preacher will be like. I wonder this, I wonder that, I wonder the other. How long will they take? Will they be finished shortly? I'm thirsty. The football's on the telly. I need my lunch and we can have a whole stuff, a load of stuff going on in our heads. When actually, this is a precious time, isn't it? It's the family before God. It's the place where we discover that he is the glory and the lifter of our head. As we come corporately to worship him and to honor his name. We, yeah, we need to learn to shout sometimes, don't we? Hey, you know, I am by nature reserved. You may not believe that. But I am by nature reserved and quiet and shy and, you know, all of that. 
But God is, you know, who he is. He's magnificent, isn't he? He is worthy of all the praise that I can offer him. He is worthy of exuberant praise in spite of my insecurities in such situations and circumstances. It's also good to be quiet in worship as well. But certainly worship should not be half-hearted and joyless. Amen? It shouldn't be half-hearted and joyless. Oh, I've got to do this. It's Sunday morning again. You know, it is, this is the place where we meet God. I wonder what he's going to do today. Let us give him all of our hearts, worship him with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. And why? Because as the psalmist goes on, he, he gives reasons for it there. He says, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. And perhaps in the context here, we, we've kind of, in our modern context, that's lost on us. But we have to remember this is one of those uh, psalms that's set, come in on the back of all that's gone before, the crises that has gone before. When, when Israel was wondering, what on earth was God doing? They'd been taken into captivity. How long is this going to last? When are we going to go back? What about the, the Davidic kingship and all the, all, the, all the rest of it? What about Jerusalem and so on? And so in their minds, you can well understand that it may well have been that they thought, maybe our God is not as powerful as the God of those who captured us. Because if our God has been captured, if we have been captured, then our God has been captured. And if that's the case, then our God must be smaller than the gods of the Assyrians, etc., And so the psalmist says, no, he says, for the Lord, Yahweh, is a great God and a great king above all gods. And we need to hear that because we live in a generation that's very often shouting at the Christians in differing ways and saying, your God is nothing. Your God is a nobody. Your God is not worth following. And if we aren't careful, that can seep into our spirits and it can affect us. And we need to hear again that our God is the only true God, that Yahweh is his name. He is, I am. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And the psalmist goes on to say that this God, our God, Yahweh, is a great God, a great king above all gods. All the other gods are underneath him, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he, it was he who made it. His hands formed the dry, dry land. So not only has God existed from eternity and will do to all eternity, God spoke the word and brought the worlds into being, and he sustains them by his power. They are the work of his hand. You are the work of his hand. We were having a conversation with somebody earlier on and talking about the, the, the wonderful dynamic, how the, the, the scripture says that it's in him we live and we move and we have our being. You are here this morning, and I am here this morning because God is who he is, and he is the creator God, the sustainer God, the one who is giving us breath at this moment in time and keeping our heart working and everything functioning and, and making us to be who we are in this moment of time. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, sometimes we just need to pinch ourselves and realize the miracle that we are living in. Because it, it is God who gives us life. It is God who sustains us life. And as the psalmist goes on to say, therefore, this God is a God who cares for us. The sea is his. It is he who made it. His hand formed the dry land. And, and, and then there it says in verse 7, 
the latter part of it, we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And that's, that's a precious thing. Because, you see, the gods of the nations were not personal gods. But the God of Israel was. He could be known. He could be related to. He cared for them individually and corporately. And that's a lovely thought, isn't it? And when you read this psalm, you, you can hear sounds of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, etc. And so you, you see things here that will echo with them and encourage them and lift them up. And, and he comes back again to that, that aspect of worship. And he says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before God, our maker. When you see who he is, when you see what he's done, what he's about, yes, he is so much other than we are. Yes, it's right and good for us to, to stand in his presence and lift our hands and dance and sing and give vibrant and dynamic praise, but it's also good that we recognize that he is so much other than we are and we bow and we kneel before him, our maker, our redeemer our keeper, our shepherd, etc. Well, he is the one who gives us life. Well, he is Yahweh, our God. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Yahweh, I am, is your God. Something that you're going through, a crisis situation that you're going through, and it's like everything would shout at you, where is God? What's he doing? He's not answering your prayers, etc. And you just need to stop in this moment and say, he is God. He is my God. And through him I shall do valiantly. I will tread down my enemies. I will leap over a wall. I will put 10,000 to flight. He's a personal God. He's involved with us. He knows. He cares. He is the rock of our salvation. And even that word that he's used there about the rock, that, that would have brought memories of, of the Exodus story back to them, how God revealed himself to them as the rock, the rock, capital R, and, and so it will have reminded them in this crisis situation that they're going through, that they're coming out of, God is our rock. He can be trusted. He will lead us. He will guide us. He will provide for us. He will direct us. He will deliver us, etc. And then it says, today, if you will hear his voice. Today, if you will hear his voice. The, the importance of today. You know, this moment in time, this day, is the only thing you can be sure of, isn't it? Yesterday is gone. You, you can't grab it back as you, as you might like to, as, you, as I was talking to somebody earlier on, talking about holiday, and they were saying, it now seems like a dream. It's gone, you know? You, you wish you could sort of somehow hang on to it as an ever-living experience, don't you? But you can't. Today is gone. Sorry, yesterday is gone. Today is, and tomorrow we're unsure of, aren't we? Or as the old saying goes, tomorrow never comes. And that, you know, tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow never comes. So there's a danger of, of living in tomorrow. 
but of course it never comes. There's a, the danger of, of, of living on past blessing, the good old days. Do you know, I thank God for every blessing that I've experienced in the past, in various church situations, etc. I thank God for every one of them. I thank God for all the people that have influenced my life, that have influenced our lives. I thank God for them. But you know, we can't live in the past. We live in the present. We live in today. And this is the most precious moment that we have in time because we can't be sure of tomorrow. But there's a danger too of living in the past in respect to to sins, to failures, to regrets, to, to unresolved issues. Today is the most precious day of your life. Are you someone who, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. You know, tomorrow's got an awful lot of stuff clocked in it, hasn't it? I'll do that tomorrow. When are you going to do that? Tomorrow. And God says, when are you going to obey my voice? And what do we say? Let me read to you Ecclesiastes. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. Not the whole book, of course. But I just love this, this chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Some familiar words. But I think in the context of this psalm, it's worth hearing. There's an appointed time for everything. And there's a time for every matter under heaven. Appointed time for everything. Every matter under heaven. Been thinking and reading around this over the last few weeks, and it's profoundly impacted me. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. You see, I've always read this. I can remember reading this as a young boy. I mean, Ecclesiastes is pretty depressing, isn't it? You know, vanity of vanities, all this vanity life is, you know, just, just okay, you know? And I, I have to confess to reading this section like a, a negative thing. This is all negative about life, but no, it's not. It's actually saying that God gives us seasons. So let's go on, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up. Time to weep and a time to laugh. Time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And I found that so powerful, thinking about that. Yeah, many of our problems are there because we don't realise the time we're in. And that covers a whole lot of stuff, doesn't it? But when we don't recognise the time that we're in with him, we'll have difficulty hearing his voice and responding how he wants today. Could go into a whole lot more on that, but time has gone. But just to give that to you for your thinking. Today, if you will hear his voice, 
Some versions say, if you hear. Others have, if you will hear. In other words, is there a willingness to hear his voice? In other words, God is speaking. Are you willing to hear his voice and respond to him? God speaks because he's personal. God also is very practical, isn't he? Sometimes I... It concerns me when people become super spiritual, where there's a disconnect in their spirituality from real life, because God works in real life, doesn't he? The trouble is we don't always like the way he speaks to us in real life. Isn't that right? <laughs> Go and forgive that person. What now, Lord? Don't, don't think they just need to feel it a bit first? You know? Let, let them roast a bit, you know? Go and forgive them. It's very practical, isn't it? Very down to earth. They heard and they hardened their hearts and spent years wandering in the desert because of a failure to believe and trust God. You know, hardening of your heart doesn't happen overnight. It's not like, you know, quick set post concrete, pour it in, add the water, boom. And in about five seconds, the thing's set straight. And if you haven't got it, it's set solid. But if you haven't got it straight, or you've got a, a big job on your hand, have you? Correcting those of you who know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's your heart is hardened when you fail to respond to those tender voices of the Spirit that says, "Go and say sorry." That says, "Go and forgive." That says. Go and do this or that or the other. It's like it says elsewhere, isn't it? The little the foxes spoil the vines. It's those little foxes that keep eating away at things until eventually there's no vineyard left. It's unproductive. I just want to say in that this morning, just guard your heart. Just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's how we get to hear him more. When we close off those voices, when we refuse to go and forgive, when we refuse to say sorry, when we refuse to, to go on that mission that he's asked us to do, that, do that thing that he wants us to do, when we keep saying, no, Lord, no, not, not now, Lord, it's not convenient. The kingdom is not convenient, is it? <laughs> By its very nature. Don't harden your hearts. And what... When you, when you read those words, you can think, oh, God, it's hard, isn't he? It's difficult. But actually, these warnings are expressions of God's love. Read them that way. It's an expression of God's love, God's love for his people. And they're given not to deprive us, but in order to bless us. Charles Spurgeon suggested several ways that we may harden our hearts. He says some harden our hearts by resolving not to demonstrate emotion in regard to spiritual things. God, bless me, but don't touch my emotions. I'll leave it there. Some harden their hearts by delaying a real relationship with God. It may be that you know him, but you're not developing that relationship. Some harden their hearts by pretending doubts and foolish criticism. There's plenty of that around. Some harden their hearts by getting into evil company. Some harden their hearts by focusing on silly amusements, all intended to kill time 
and prevent fault upon divine things. And lastly, he says, some harden their hearts by indulging in a favorite sin. Is there any way in which your heart is hardened? Or the beginnings of it? Just to hear the loving kind of warning that comes through scripture. Do not harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion right back all those years ago. Hear what he has to say and respond to him. In Hebrews, the writer to this passage refers to it four times in two chapters. And and, uh, the issue there is the, the potential failure to enter into the rest that comes through Jesus. They were tempted to return to religion, to rules, regulations, to ritual, instead of fully trusting in Christ, who is both our saviour and our sanctifier. I love Hebrews. He is our saviour and he is our sanctifier. He is our salvation and he is our holiness. That's what it means, yeah? That's glorious, isn't it? That's, that's, that's absolutely glorious. I think of the song that we were singing in the, in, the, in the first meeting, the children's song, Putting Your God Suit On. You know, that is just what that is all about, that Jesus is not only our saviour, but he's also our holiness. He is our righteousness and we are complete in him. Some people can read these verses in Hebrews and think that in some way or other he was suggesting they were going to lose their salvation. I haven't got time to go into that, but I want to say very clearly that he wasn't saying that. But you can lose out on your inheritance, on the presence and conscious, conscious presence and blessing of God in the here and now. The danger was, was one of loss, not of status. That's important for us to understand because that's where the enemy will get in. He will come along and suggest somehow you can lose your salvation, you've lost your salvation, and then you're going through a whole load of tricks trying to get round him and trying to understand a whole load of stuff. And I haven't got time to preach on all that, but Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Hallelujah. Anything else, Jesus plus something, you're in trouble, I'm in trouble, we're in trouble. Okay? And that's what was happening in Hebrews. They were wanting to do Jesus plus. Maybe you can have Jesus and and some religion. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is all that we need. So you see what I mean, that the psalm has got an awful lot in it. (laughs) You know? God has got a lot for each one of us. He has an inheritance both here and later. And the way to live into that is listening to his voice and responding to him. Maybe you need to deal with a sin. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to stop doubting and start believing. Maybe you've lost your way and doubted God. Maybe you need to stop living in or on the past start living in the presence with him. Maybe you've never made that decision to totally confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today, if you hear his voice, if you will hear his voice, then make the necessary response. You see, when we come and worship, God speaks. We have the opportunity to respond to him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are the everlasting God. 
that you are the I am, that you are Yahweh, and there is no God like you. And Lord, in this time when it seems in various areas that the, the church and its belief in God is under attack, we confess our faith in you this morning. For those who are in crisis this morning, where perhaps their doubt is being sown into their minds, we come afresh and we confess that you are God, that you are Yahweh, the I am, that there's no God beside you. We confess that you are great. You're greatly to be praised. We confess that you are the one who gives us life. We confess that you are our good shepherd. That, Lord Jesus, you laid down your life for the sheep. And that, Lord Jesus, having risen and ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father, you hold us all before the Father's presence. <coughs> that you are our mediator. We bless you that you have provided for us such a great salvation. More still, you are our sanctifier, that we are holy in you. We bless you that you're a God who speaks by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be those who keep tender hearts, hear your voice and respond to you. Lord, that we might ever grow closer. Lord, that we might know the fullness of your blessing. Lord, that we may be a blessing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Richard. Well, we'll close our time together there. Um, just a reminder that there is no meeting next Sunday. So.